This is the verse that, that we looked at together. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, you, you hear kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're the same thing, just in different, uh, different gospels. It's somewhat the same thing. It's different wording. Um, that, that idea, the kingdom of God, is, I think, is a huge part of church culture. Um, I don't know that we really, though, understand what it means. And um, so what we're going to do tonight is, is sort of have a, just a general talk about the kingdom of God. Um, because in our groups together this semester, we're studying through the Sermon on the Mount, which, which is all about the kingdom of God and, and what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And I know that uh, a lot of you were in groups this week. Um, there are probably a good number of you who are not in groups this week. Uh, and so this will not necessarily be a recap of community group, but I think it's an it's such an important concept that we can't just hope everybody eventually catches up. Um, and so in in praying about tonight, I uh, just really felt that before we get in deeper into the Sermon on the Mount, we start with the Beatitudes this week. It's going to be awesome. Um, before we get into that, we need to kind of make sure we're grounded in this. Um, so if you uh, if you have a Bible nearby, we're going to start off in in Genesis, so you can go ahead and go there. And the way I'd like to approach it will be in Genesis 2. Um, When we talk about the kingdom of God, I want us to just think in terms of of the storyline of God um, as as laid out in, in front of us. And so, um, just just kind of a general concept of what the kingdom of, of God would be uh, would would be it'd be the rule the rule of God over all things. Just just that simple. God ruling over over everything, and it, it, whether we're talking about in, in like real life kingdoms that have existed on the earth, or if we're talking about fictional kingdoms, you know, like from literature and stuff like that. Um, there's there's something that's very common. That, that you see is that that life in a kingdom uh, is a reflection of the character of the king. So you can tell a lot about a king by looking at what it's like to live in his kingdom. And so, you know, last all last school year we we studied about our king. We studied the character of God, um, and we we went through a lot of of attributes um, together. Uh, things like like the fact that that God is. Uh, he is outside of time, so um, so God doesn't experience time in like in a moment by moment kind of way, um, the way that we do. He experiences everything all at, all at one time, and he doesn't ever forget anything because he sees it all at once. And 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 that was one of those things that's so different about God and us, and it's really just kind of mind blowing to think about. Um, his kingdom is the same way, uh, because God has always existed, and he doesn't experience things necessarily you know moment by moment, all that kind of stuff. There wasn't a beginning of God. There won't be an end of God. It's the same way with His kingdom. Um, it 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 has always existed and always will exist. And so, 
the kingdom wasn't something that Jesus like ushered in. He didn't create this kingdom, and that's when it started when he came to earth. And that's not what that verse means. You know, repent for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. He's not saying, hey, the kingdom's about to start. It's something that's always existed. Um, uh, another attribute of of our king would be that he is is completely sovereign. He is omniscient. He's all knowing, um, and so and he knows every everything that's ever happened and going to happen, all that kind of stuff. But he also knows every possible outcome of every situation, and he always he always does what is what is best. Anything that he does, it's going to be the best of all those possible outcomes. That's what he's going to go with, because he's also um, the. People call it omnibenevolent, which sounds really weird, but it just means that he's all good. So because he's all good and because he's all-knowing, um, his kingdom is the best possible kingdom. Out of every scenario he could come up with, uh, his kingdom that, that stretches over, over all things, that's, that's the best possible one. So everything that happens in the kingdom of God is good because the king is good. All right? Um, there are other attributes that, that we talked about um, but those are just just some general things. So I think you understand what, I, what I'm saying is that that the kingdom he has created is is just one big uh, reflection of his character and who he is. And so just just the fact that it's always existed, it kind of stretches over any sort of timeline that we could could come up with or any sort of story we could would talk about is very important for us to to grasp um, that it's it's always been there. So um, so all right. So in Genesis one, we see God creating. Everything. So, um, so here's here's our king that's always existed, and he has this kingdom, and so he starts creating things like these tangible things for him to to rule over, for him to reign. This tangible kingdom that will point back to him. So he creates the heavens and the earth. All right. So let's think about the heavens part for a second. He makes everything in outer space, just speaks it into existence. And everything in outer space, um, like, functions at, like, at his will, at his pleasure. Everything that's happening out there in outer space is exactly like he wants it to happen. That's his creation and his kingdom. So, so think about Jupiter or Neptune or whatever. Jupiter is completely, um, submitted to the will of God. It's completely functioning, uh, within the kingdom of God because it is, like, it, it, can't oppose God, you know. Jupiter's not like I'm the biggest. Uh, I'm going to oppose the Creator. It doesn't do that. It's it's completely functioning within the kingdom because it's doing exactly what it was supposed to do. Um, it is it is under the rule and the reign of Christ. Everything, every every cluster of stars, every galaxy, every everything out there is is completely living in the kingdom, just like it's supposed to. And that's what God did when He made the heavens. That's what He did. He made this 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 universe that submits to him. And then he made the earth. And the earth did the same thing. But he did something very unique on the earth that he didn't do in other, other places. Um, he, you know, he made these animals and stuff. And uh, they were all really good. And every step, every like stage of creation, well, what, what did he say at the end of it? He said, it's good. The universe is good. The cows are good. The Grand Canyon is good. An oak tree is good. He was so happy with everything that he had made. And then he did he did something that was completely different 
then all this other creation that automatically, by nature, submits and lives in the kingdom. Um, he took some dirt and made a man. And then he said, it's not good that this man be alone. And so he took one of his ribs and made a woman. Which I don't, that, whatever. Uh, and so then you had, you had Adam and Eve, but they were, they were different than everything else. Unlike anything in the entire universe, he made Adam and Eve in, in his image. And that idea is, it's just, it's like, um, like a child to a parent. That's, that's being an image bearer. So every one of you are bearing the image of your parents in some ways. Uh, in that same way, humanity bears the image of God. Very, very unique. The, the giraffes didn't get that, and the hippopotamus didn't get that, and the tree didn't get that, and, um, Pluto didn't get that. Just Adam, just Eve. This very unique thing. And so, what God did in His kingdom is something that is, uh, is, is amazing. The entire universe has no option but to live in the kingdom of God. But with these image bearers, He did something that's very different. Look in Genesis 2, 15, verse 15 through 17. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, So work was a part of the design. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this is something really important. and we're, we're talking about the kingdom of God. All right? When it comes to humanity, humanity had had something that no other, that nowhere else in creation will you find, and that's that's the ability to choose. He let them choose to live in the kingdom. The planets don't have a choice. The stars don't have a choice. The sun doesn't have a choice. Trees don't. Dogs don't. Man does. Completely, completely unique. That God is not going to force His image bearers. To, to choose Him. He gives them the option. If you want to be a part of my kingdom? Then eat of any tree you want. Just don't eat of that, that one right there. The choice is up to you. And we don't know how long they lived in the garden before things went wrong or whatever. But, but we learned something like pretty, pretty valuable about that. Um, man man is, is very unique and very special. To be given the option to choose Him, that's a very, that's a very loving gesture from God. Who, who, who has, has always had this kingdom and He creates this tangible kingdom and everything in it submits to Him and lives according to Him. But He doesn't force that on man. So choice is, is very important. But with, within that, we have to understand, like when we're talking about the kingdom and living in the kingdom and all that kind of stuff, there's a there's a mindset that goes along with with what what we see right there. There's a mindset that's very important. Um, that basically comes down to to this this one word I, I think, which would be faith. See, Adam Adam and Eve living in that garden, they had to have faith. They had to trust that when God said, "Don't eat of that tree because it's bad for you," but you can eat of anything else. They had to trust that what he was saying was right. They had to have that simple amount of faith. 
to know that tree's bad, everything else is good. And by having that trust in, in God Himself, they were living in the kingdom. They were a part of the kingdom. They were choosing to live just like the outer, just like the planets and the stars and the trees, completely at the rule, under the rule and the reign of God. That's, that's how it was. That's how God designed things and intended them to be. So when, when you hear the phrase, um, you know, seek the kingdom, living in the kingdom, all that kind of stuff, that's, that's really what it's coming down to is, is this trusting mindset of God knows better than I do. He is the sovereign creator of the universe. He spoke everything into existence. He knows the best possible outcome. Um, out of all the outcomes that are out there, he knows, he knows the best one, the right one, the one that is good. I'm, I'm going to trust and, and live, live where, where my mind is lining up with his mind. That's, that's what living in the kingdom is about. So every time you talk about it in a community group, or every time you hear somebody preach about it or whatever, there has to be this, this, uh, this definition that, we, that kind of just resonates within us. That it is this, it's this faith-based mindset that, that our good and our wonderful and beautiful king has invited us to live in his kingdom. And, and when, what, what he says to do, that's, that's what is best. And we submit to that and we line up with that and, and there's just incredible joy. An incredible, just an incredible life when that happens. So that's, that's Genesis 1, Genesis 2, that's what's going on. Now Genesis 3, Adam and Eve chose, they, they chose to eat of, of the tree. They, they decided that they knew better than God. And they, they were convinced a little bit, and this doubt that formed, but, but they made the decision to take that fruit and to eat of it. And so, what enters into the world, you know, after all, all this, this creation and all this kind of stuff, this kingdom of God that has exists, now because of the, their choice, there enters this new kingdom, which would be the kingdom of, of man. The kingdom of man is, is, like if I had to just like define it, I think like one word that I would, would choose would, it would be deception. There's this, this complete deception that goes on. So what, what happened is the, their choice brings in this kingdom of man. And so now the kingdom of God was not available to them anymore because, because their, their innocence had been lost. There's, there's this impurity that was there. And so the kingdom of God, above, above everything else, every other way you want to describe it, uh, there, it's, it's holy because our king is holy. And holiness eradicates sin. It destroys sin just like light does to darkness. And so, for Adam and Eve, now that they are, are, now that they are sinners, for them to be in the presence of holiness would destroy them. And so there's this, this part that's kind of, it's kind of disturbing because once they eat of, of the fruit and they kind of have that interaction and they confess, God, He, He removes them from the garden. And that seems like, like, you know, like, oh, Dad's mad, so He's gonna like put us in time out, you know. Uh, but that, that's not it. If he left them in the garden, if he left them in the kingdom, his, holy, his holiness would destroy them. So he removes them. And so now, this great this kingdom where everything else submits to him, uh, they, it's no longer available to them anymore. And so now they live under the curse of sin, as do the animals, 
as does the earth. You read that that was what happened. So so really everything else in creation that's out there has never it's never left the the, the kingdom of God. But the earth, this special place where he was doing this special work, um, has suffered because of this kingdom of man, this choice that has entered. Now the the reason why I say that, that the kingdom of man is is can be defined as uh, deception is because within the because within the kingdom of man, you really think that that's like the best way to do things. Like you really you really do think that uh, that greed is like the way to go. That anger is like that's no no that's that's what you do when someone hurts you you hurt them back you know revenge is a part of that uh, and uh, materialism is like no no that's that's a good thing right acquiring things and all this kind of stuff that that's that's something really good um, Richard Foster wrote a book uh, about money sex and power he says every, everything everything about the the kingdom of the world can really just come down to those those things money sex power you know um, but the reason why that's like it's such a tragedy is because the deception that exists is everybody thinks that that's right, and so you get really caught up in and being like, no, this is the world. This is how this is how the world works, and everything is very self-centered. And so you're just looking out for one, number one, and so so that kingdom of man started to spread because everybody was having kids and they were passing that on to the, their kids, and so this this whole culture it emerged completely deceived completely ignorant of the fact that the kingdom of God exists above them and greater greater than them, completely deceived into thinking that that's, that's how it's supposed to be. And, and when, you, when you think in, in those terms and you start to like watch the news or you keep up with current events or you just start to listen when you go to work or you go you know, to Winn-Dixie or whatever and you hear what people are saying, you see what's going on, that kingdom of man, that, that sucker's still rolling. And so, this beautiful, powerful kingdom of God, all this purity and all this holiness is there, yet it's no longer available to man because of sin. That's what happened in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. They go from having it made to com- it's com- to being completely cut off. And so that's kind of how the story goes. Now, when, get- when God removes them from-, from the garden because they are- the kingdom is no longer available to them, it's all a part of his plan. He has this, this brilliant best case scenario plan. Now one of the problems uh, from our perspective about this plan is that life continues under these curses, under this deception. And so we all grow old and die. Um, we are a part of this world where, where it's all this just betrayal and greed and all this stuff. And there's still some, there's some good things that go on, but but we're still rolling. Plus, there's there's this earth that has been cursed, and so there are tsunamis and there are hurricanes and there are all these things going on. So we live in this deception that that this is just how the world is, and yet we kind of love it. And so when you're born into that and you grow up under that, of course you're going to think that like this is just the way that it is. That's a part of, of the deception. So, so what we see is is you know, things kind of roll along for a while. And then God picks this one guy named Abraham. He makes a promise to him. Says, "I'm, I'm gonna from you, from your family. I'm gonna make you into this great nation." Um, and so he 
he does that. And so you have this great nation of, of Israel that ends up in slavery in Egypt. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue you out of Egypt. I'm going to bring you into this land. I'm going to establish you. And I'm going to be your king. So, so we have to make sure that we understand the, the parallels. When, when God starts saying, I'm going to bring you out and establish you, and I'm going to be your king, He's talking kingdom of, uh, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. They're, of course, thinking kings like earthly kings like everybody else. So He, he goes in, brings them out, um, and gets them, you know, gets them out of Egypt and all the Exodus story and everything. Uh, and, he, and He gives them these ten commandments. Alright? Now, here's... Here's where the kingdom of God starts to reemerge. So you have these people, they, they've heard of God, they've seen Him do some pretty incredible things, um, but they're still thinking like, like Israel's going to be this military power and all that. So He gives them the Ten Commandments. And what the Ten Commandments do, uh, it's kind of twofold. One, well, there's probably many reasons, but I'll just give you two. Uh, one of the things the Ten Commandments will do is it's ten descriptions of what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. In my in my kingdom, we don't we don't murder people. My kingdom, we don't steal. My kingdom, we're not jealous of one another. My kingdom, we we practice Sabbath, we rest, we trust the provision of God. My kingdom, we 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 don't worship idols. You know, all ten of those things are this this description of this completely new way of of thinking and functioning. All right. Now, if you're thinking, think of it like a story. These are people who they this was completely off their radar that this was even possible. What do you mean? Like, there's a world where like revenge isn't the way you function, and all that. And, and but all they knew was these are the ten rules you have to follow. So one thing he's doing, the first thing he's exposing them to the fact that there's this different, completely new, completely different way of thinking. The second thing he's doing is he's showing them that they are unable to do it. Which seems like really weird that God would do that. Say, hey, do these ten things, knowing that you can't do them. What he's doing is he's he's creating this 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 awareness that, that there's something greater than us, but we are unable to attain it. We're unable to achieve that on our own. He's creating the need the need for a redeemer, the need for someone to step in and help them. So they start to function under all these rules. And all this, you know, whatever, and and they and they they try and they try and they try, and then they mess up, and it's just this this cycle that just continues and continues and continues. But what it's doing is it's putting it's putting this hope in them that that no, like this this world is possible. There's another way of thinking. So he's he's foreshadowing what the kingdom of God will look like for them. But if 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 you think of it in, in in two kind of ways, let's let's say like there's this kingdom of God that stretches over the top of the storyline. Let's say the story is playing out this way, like a timeline. Like they they're coming along for so long, and they have no idea that there's a greater greater kingdom at work above them. They have no, they have no clue. So what the Ten Commandments do is it kind of like points them points them to that kingdom. It says, hey, look, it's possible to live this way. And they're like, oh man, I'd really like to do that. So they try and they fail, and they try and they fail. So like, okay, I really want to do that, but I need some help like making that real for me. That goes on and on and on and on throughout the history of Israel. And, and they, were, they really want a king, and God's saying, no, I want to, I'm going to be your king. And they're like, no, we want a king like everybody else. So they go out and they pick Saul, and he's a flop. So God's like, okay, I'm going to give you a legit king who's going to point you to me, and he gives him David. All these incredible things happen. Turn to Isaiah 61. 
as the as the kingdom of of Israel starts to grow and uh, all these things are, are are playing out in front of him, he starts to use these prophets to get more and more specific. And I hope, I hope this is making sense. Starts to use these prophets, and they start to to talk about God sending a, a man, a, a person, who would restore the the kingdom of of Israel. He'd bring them back to their glory. Now they're of course still thinking earthly stuff, but there's still this hope in them that 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 there's another way of thinking, another way of existing, another way of living. And so here's one of the prophecies about Jesus. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Alright? This is a description of what this this historic figure is going to bring into their lives. They may not realize that he's he's going to restore availability and access to the kingdom of God. They may not recognize that, but they start to hope way way forward. They start to put all this faith in this in this person who is to come and to deliver them and be this this Messiah figure. And this is all a part of his plan, going all the way back to removing them from the garden and saving them from being destroyed by his holiness. And so they've been living under all this deception, and he's slowly like bringing them out of it, showing them, guess what? The, the world, the way that you think, it's, it's completely messed up. But it's not, it's not the end-all, be-all. There's another way that's there. And I'm going to send someone, and he's going to, he's going to restore this. And you look at, at what it says and what it describes... Good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, open the prison to those who are bound. Um, that like these are descriptions of the kingdom that point to the king. Now, certainly, if you heard that, you're like, "When's this guy going to get here? I'm ready for him to come." Like this is a painful existence. If there really is this other life that's possible, then like bring him and bring him soon. And the whole rest of the Old Testament is just—it's them longing for God to send this person and send this person. Um, then in Luke chapter four, if you want to flip to it, that's fine. If you don't, we'll put it on the screens. In Luke chapter four, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he goes to his home synagogue, um, walks in. They know he's a rabbi. Uh, they have daily readings. They hand him the scroll. He opens it up, and what does it turn to? The very thing from Isaiah 61 that they all knew. So he stands up and he reads it, verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here's the... Check this out. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. Which is, that's what they did whenever it's time to teach. They would read and they would sit down. The rabbis would teach. So he sits down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's like the most like 
gutsy thing, be appropriate way to describe it, thing that Jesus probably like ever did. To walk in that synagogue and to say, this scripture that for years and years and years people have been waiting and waiting and waiting for that guy to show up and he sits down and he's like, that's me. I'm, I'm that guy that it's talking about. Today this is available to you now. David, would you put Matthew 4.17 back up there? So, so when, when we see Matthew 4.17, when we see Jesus talking about repent uh, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he's literally, literally saying is that this kingdom that has not been available to you since chapter 3 of Genesis, all right, to, today it is available to you. Because of sin, you have been separated and you've been completely deceived into, in, into thinking that money, sex, and power, into thinking that, that greed and betrayal and materialism and, and gossip and all these stupid things, into, de- deceived into thinking that that is real life. You have been detached from reality. I'm here to bring you back in touch with what is real. That is this kingdom that has always existed and always will exist. And this kingdom looks just like God. I'm here to say, you want it? You come on. I'm, I'm here. Through me, it will happen. I look like the kingdom. I'll make you just like me. You don't have to live this way. Come on. And in community group, we looked a lot at that the word repent. How we tend to think that means you, know, you better straighten up. You better say you're sorry. You better change your ways. What it, what it means in original languages... Uh, is the same thing as, as saying change your mind, meaning change the way that you think. Change the way that you think. So, so think about the whole, the whole, like the forward progress of the story to go from living in this completely, like this completely deceived environment where you're thinking that all that all that garbage is right. Jesus is saying, change the way you think because the kingdom is now available to you. You don't just flip that like a switch. You don't grow up thinking that materialism and greed is like good, and all of a sudden be like, oh, so that's not that's not the way. Okay, flip that switch, and now you're all of a sudden you're in the kingdom where you're like totally generous and like you have a great great view of, of money and stewardship and all this kind. Of, you don't. That's not how it works. You don't go from um, somebody hurts me, I hurt them back worse, to oh, okay, turn the other cheek. I got okay. I got you. Forgive. All right, that's cool. You don't go from thinking thinking that you stack up culturally somewhere, or that you're better than somebody else because you make more money, or you look different than them, or you're from a different place, or whatever, to all of a sudden thinking that everybody is we're, we're all created in the image of God. Everybody's absolutely the same. Uh, no one is excluded. Like every, we're all in this together. Uh, you don't just flip that switch. And so Jesus is saying, He said, "I here's the offer." To change your mind. Let me let me change the way that you think. Romans twelve, Paul Paul calls it uh, the renewal of the mind. Like our minds are constantly being renewed. It's like it's like slowly every single day we're going from living in the kingdom of man. We're learning how to live in the kingdom of God, and that's what that's what Jesus. That's everything that he did. Everything that he taught. It wasn't all about walk that aisle, pray that prayer. I died on the cross for your sins, so you can go to heaven. That's 
That's absolutely a part of the kingdom, but it, but it's not it. It's not that's not the full teaching of the kingdom. See, it's not just about your eternal destination. It's about what's your life going to look like right now. That the kingdom is not some future thing that one day after the second coming and the bodies fly up and I have all the left behind books, wherever that works, everything goes down the way it's supposed to, and then finally we're all in heaven. And it's like now the kingdom, let it begin. No. It's always existed. It's all. It's it's already there in all of its fullness and all of its glory. But because we've been a part of this busted up, broken world, we're just completely deceived by it. He's he's saying, look, you're still going to live in this busted up, broken world. You're still going to have tsunamis, and you're, there's still going to be famine. There's still going to be greed that keeps that from happening. There's still going to be injustice because people are are going to be all about money and all about power, and, and they don't care who they mess over. And, that kind of stuff is still going to go on, but it doesn't have to be that way for you. You, you can live in such a reality that you're, you're just like Jupiter. You're just like the galaxies. You're just like the sun. You can choose to live in this phenomenal kingdom. And it, and it may not come right away, but Jesus said, I'll teach you how to do that. So when you go through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when we study that this semester in our groups, if you're not in a group, I, this is this is the time. All the chapters, like they're 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 called like learning to live without anger, learning to live without lust, learning to live without these things. It's it's how does he teach us how to live, um, how to come out of that kingdom of man and how to live within his kingdom as far as that mindset, that trust and that faith. Say, I don't want my mind to be like it was before I knew Christ. I want my mind to function the way that it should in the kingdom. Jesus says this can happen now. And if if we're looking at this timeline that's going forward, um, you look down the road at at some point, uh, there will be no more no more choices. You know, like the choices will will have been made. And at that point, once choice is gone, once everything is made new and there's no more sin and there's no more enemy and there's no more whatever and He makes this new heaven and new earth, there's no more curse, then, I mean, that's as great as that sounds, Jesus is offering us that same reality today. And yeah, yeah, the world's busted, I get it. Our minds don't have to be busted. We don't have to think like that. One of the great quotes in the in the book that we went through this week, you know, it says that at some point uh, the rule and reign of, of Jesus. It, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it. At some point, the rule and the reign of, of God over all things, like that's going to be like it's going to be over over everything at some point. But until then, uh, it can be that way over you and me. Like the the narrative that we looked at was about getting heaven into us now, and not having to wait for some down the road thing. So the kingdom of God is is a lot about choice. And I I choose to live in the kingdom. I choose to be like I, I want I want the will of the Father. I want Him to reign and rule over me. I want to learn to live in His kingdom. I want to be his disciple. That's what discipleship was. Think about, think about you know, 
three years or so, these guys followed Jesus around, they watched everything that he did, and they, they listened to everything that he said, and they tried to imitate him in every way. Everything he was doing was teaching them how to live in the kingdom. Every miracle, every bit of forgiveness, every sermon, every just phenomenal thing that he did, every time he put the Pharisees in their place, everything that he did was about demonstrating the kingdom. He's like, this is what the kingdom looks like, this. And that's what, that's what we are doing together. You can call it transformation. You can call it discipleship. You can call it living in the kingdom. You can call it whatever, whatever term you want to put on it. But that's what he's doing. He's saying, let me change the way that you think. So that's, the, that's what happened. Made this, made this kingdom. Adam and Eve were in it. And they chose to leave it. Because they left it, everybody else left it too. God made this perfect plan that through Jesus, the kingdom would now be available. And that's where we find ourselves. So it's a mindset. It's trusting, saying His kingdom, like it's, that's the way, that's, I want that in me. I want to live that way. And so what's the, what's the takeaway? Uh, it's probably going to be different for all of us, I think. Um, I'm sure that there are probably some folks here in this room that um, have no idea where they stand. You know, when it comes to kingdom of man, kingdom of God, through Jesus, I'm not sure if, uh, I'm not sure, what, I'm not, you know, some of you I probably just confused more than I helped. You know, welcome to the ring. Uh, but if, if, you, if you haven't placed your faith and what Jesus did on the cross, because what he did is he took that penalty that was yours and took it on himself to save us and to give us that access to the kingdom. I mean, that's a, that's a very, that's step one to living in the kingdom. And so, if you're here and that's not something that you've done, uh, like, I don't, we don't have like walk the aisle times and all that kind of stuff. I think that's the most important conversation you'll ever have, and I don't want to just repeat it back and forth. Um, but you don't have to leave here and wonder. Um, I'll talk to you. If you came with somebody, they'll talk to you. Just find someone who looks like they have their stuff together. Like, hey, talk to me. You know, Lots of people here will talk to you. You don't have to walk out of here wondering all that stuff. But if you're, if, if you're, one, if you're one of His, you place your faith in Him, it's gonna it's gonna come down to uh, some of the stuff that we talked about in group this week. Part of it is, you know, he said unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you, you can't be a part of my kingdom. And bottom line, he's saying, are you, are you willing to work on the inside stuff? See, the Pharisees they're all about behavior modification. All right, they're about they're all about let's do these behaviors and all this kind of stuff, and everything will be fine. And what Jesus says is, no, it's it's about the inside of your life. Let's have inside out change. Let me renew your mind. Your mind impacts your behavior. Your mind impacts your emotions. Let's, let's start here. I've given you a new heart. Now let's, let's work on the mind. Get that working in sync. A lot of us, we, we don't want to dig into the deeper stuff. We just want to like, okay, well, just tell me what to, tell me what to stop doing. Start doing whatever. That's not how it works. So if you want to live in the kingdom, that's going to be part of it. Another, another part of it, though, is, is you got to go back to Genesis 2 and have that 
that simple faith and that trusting mindset that was a part of the the part of the garden. And just trusting that, hey, his his ways are higher than mine, they're better than mine. He's holy, he's perfect. When he says this is bad for you, don't do it, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna flee from that. When he says run to these things, they're good for you, I'm gonna run to those things. But what keeps us from doing that is the same thing that messed up Adam and Eve is is that that thinking that we know better than him. And that I think that holds us back so much. We think we're so awesome. And and you're awesome, okay? We're awesome. But we're not that awesome. There has to be that humility and that submission and that childlike faith that says, look, even though I even though I think I have everything figured out, I do not. And the holy God, sovereign God of the universe, who cares for me, wants to lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm going to go with that. And so what's holding you back, it might be you want to work on the outside, not the inside. It might be that you're just, honestly, you're just too prideful. Either way, it goes also back to the garden of saying, you, you got a choice. Choose to live in the kingdom of God. Choose to choose to say, I, I want to repent. I want to change the way that I think. I'm, I'm tired of believing this lie that the way the world functions is, is the best way. Your way is the best way. I need you to teach me. And you Humble yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. That's what he said. Simple as that. So I don't know where it fits into your life. But you do. And he does. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing a little bit. Um, because uh, for us at, at the ring, uh, we just we just like to process things and just kind of let things settle. And Because a, a few minutes we're going to scare out and go do our own thing. And, and the ball is completely in your court. Uh, but l- let's not rush out of here. And let's not think that uh, what, whatever we do after this is more important than this. This is a part of God's plan for your life to be here for this. So as we sing and respond, let's just... Let's let that be good. Let's let's pray together. God, what an amazing thought um, that your kingdom has always existed and always will exist. And it is just, I mean, it is as powerful and strong as it will ever be. So that means that the problem is not with the kingdom. The problem is with us. We're so grateful that you invite us to to step into your kingdom, to live in the fullness that's there. And whatever's holding us back, I pray that you would uh, that you would speak to our our hearts and our minds tonight. There's those who haven't placed their faith in you yet, or those who are too stubborn and prideful. To, to just humble themselves and to be childlike in faith or whatever it is in this room that you would as as the good holy king that you would speak into us tonight that we wouldn't insist on our own way but the, we would just be open handed with our own with our own lives 
and that humility would just rest on us like a blanket. And we would make that choice. We are so grateful that that your your kingdom is is all about empowerment. That you don't just tell us to dive in. That you empower everything that happens once we do. And so, pray that you'd speak to our hearts, and then when it's time to sing, that we would just really go for it tonight. <laughs>